Let's clap our hands unto the Lord and acknowledge Him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Let's do it right. Clap your hands like you really, really mean it today. to be with you. What an honor it is to be with you in Jennings, Louisiana. I have thoroughly enjoyed myself. I have appreciated the preaching of the word, Brother Mayo, last night, Brother Blakely, today. Fantastic word of God. And feel his presence in the house of God today. And so it's an honor uh, and a privilege to be with you, I want to give my regards to Brother and Sister Townley and Jennings FPC. I know that behind the scenes there's a lot of work that goes into putting something like this on. Very first class, and so I'm honored, very honored to be invited. I enjoy the presence of God that I feel in the house of God, and I could have just shouted a little bit right there longer. Uh, There's nothing like worshiping God. Why is it that the other alternative venues of the world have to, quote-unquote, have their fun, and there should not be a celebration in the house of God? I think there should be a celebration in the house of God because he has redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. And the scripture says, and such... For some of you, <laughs> but you have been changed. And so we have every reason to celebrate and glorify God. Praise God. I know you've been here for some time today, but I want you to turn to John chapter 20 and verse number 26. I want to say how good it is to be with all of the ministry. Uh, I honor you and respect you, and it's good to see all of the men here at this conference in this place today and last night. Pray that God blesses you and you take something home that is a value and a strength to you. John chapter 20, beginning in verse number 26. This is the conclusion, the ending of the Gospel of John. And uh, I'm not actually going to spend some time on, as much time on verse number 28, as much as on 29, but John is, has two bookends. The first is verse 14 in the prologue in which he says, and the word became flesh. And the last bookend is found in this reading of scripture. Verse number 26, and after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. This is the bookend at the end of the gospel. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Verse number 29 is where I want to take our attention. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. 
So I'm going to entitle this today. It's rather lengthy title. I know you're not supposed to do that, Um, but it gives a good foundation for today. And this is the title, The Development of Faith Through the Miracles of Two Hopeless Men and What It Means for Men Today. The Development of Faith Through the Miracles of two hopeless men and what it means for men today. That's the summary of the message right there. And so we'll pick little pieces and build on it this morning. Praise God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and worship you today and recognize your ability, your hand. In the affairs of men, godly men, apostolic men, we thank you for every man that is in this place today. And I pray that you would instruct us. You have given to us rich material already. And I pray that you would somehow seal it in our spirit, in our mind, in our heart, so that we would take up the mantle and the mission of what you have proclaimed to us. We thank you and we ask for revival in our lives, personal lives, our church lives. We give to you thanks and we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Clap your hands one more time before you're seated. We give you praise, Lord, and we acknowledge you, and we thank you. Praise God. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I am not going to spend much time in developing a big, long foundation. I just want to start with development. Development. God never intends to leave things as they are. When he found you, he probably found a miserable condition. He probably found a dysfunctional condition. He probably found you as a wreck, and he probably found you in an abysmal place. But God never intends to leave things as they are. You came to this men's conference. You came maybe with circumstances in your life and situations. Know this, that God never intends to leave that the same way. He's always working on us. He's always molding us. He's always shaping us. He's always saying to us, there is a better ending to where we are right now. And you can be a better person than you are right now. And we must never lose the pursuit that says, I know I'm not what I should be, and I'm pursuing what I can be. God never intends to leave us where we are, but he always moves us forward. I'm pursuing in the house of God today what I can be. That is a development. I don't care who you are, how long you've been at it, you still can be better. If I ever get to the place where I say, I think I have arrived, I'm in big, big trouble. But what I'm doing today, I'm pursuing that which I can be. I'm reaching for that man. I'm striving for that man. It's not enough. I've got to reach for things of God. And I want to be better. Well, some of you are clapping your hands. I'm not so sure about the rest of you. We should. We have.
haven't had the best church. We will see greater revivals. God will do greater things. There's always got to be a pursuit in the heart and life of us that says God's got greater things for me. This is the development. It's the development. You'll understand what I'm saying when I say this. I, we had church. It was good church. People there. It was good altar service. Later, in conversation, Bishop said, well, how did church go? He was not there that night. I said, well, it was good, but I think we could done better he said we'll never lose that because if you ever think you've arrived that's the downward spiral (laughs) there's greater things that can be accomplished God never intends to leave things as they are. There is always a development. There is a development and approach in faith. Now, not faith in faith, but faith in something or faith in somebody. There is an object in which I'm tying my faith to. I'm not putting my faith in something that's ephemeral, that's out there somewhere. I'm grounding it in something. It, it, it is anchored to something. And so, how do I do that? Well, the way that I do that is, and, 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 and certainly in John, and I'm taking a lot of my attention from the book of John today, Jesus lays out a development pattern. And so there is a development of faith, and faith is supposed to be in Christ. And so this is developed in the gospel, and it is through the miracles. It's important. Through is important. It's not, it doesn't stop at the miracles. The miracles are not the end and of themselves. That's the door that opens. It doesn't stop there, but it's through that, and it starts with a miracle. There has to be a miracle. In chapter 2 and verse number 11, Jesus starts his miracle ministry in Cana of Galilee and it is to manifest his glory. But Jesus seems to be somewhat conflicted with this miracle thing. And so there are times when he will heal individuals and then he will say to them don't tell anybody. And so in the Gospel of Mark, for example, it's called the Markan secret or the messianic secret that, that people have tried to extrapolate and figure out and prognosticate on what exactly does that mean. In my opinion, what's happening there is Jesus understands that this is the ground level. This is the ground floor of a development that I'm trying to take my disciples as witnesses, but also the disciples that are going to follow them, that it can't get hung up here. This development is a pattern that goes from one place to another place. And so I've got to do a miracle. I've got to heal because without the sign that there's an inbreaking of the kingdom of God, people are not going to understand that something is in their midst. And so he heals somebody and then he tells them, don't say anything. Of course, they go out and proclaim it. But the point is, Jesus is trying to establish that there is a direction. There is a trajectory. There is a flow. There has to be a miracle. And thank God for 
for miracles, but I can't get hung up on just the miracle. And if we just get hung up on the miracle, we become like many who are sensationalists, that that's all that they are looking for. They want to come to the house of God. They want to feel the anointing of God. They will tell you, I feel something here that I don't feel in my home church, but that's all they want is the feeling. And they walk away with the feeling or the emotion or the byproducts of the miracle, but they don't want anything more than that. They just want the emotion. They just want the feeling. They just want the miracle. And everything is based on that. And Jesus was saying, you've got to start somewhere and you've got to understand that I am he, but there's more to the miracle than just the miracle itself. You've got to look at who's doing the miracle and you've got to recognize who he is. Well, who is he? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But John didn't stop there. He said, and the word became flesh. This man doing the miracles didn't just uh, enshroud himself. He is no apparition. He is God manifested in the flesh. He is the I am. And John repeatedly refers to Jesus on his lips as being the I am. They said, our father is Abraham. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. I'm not only doing the miracles, but I'm introducing you to who I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the God that has created all things and all power is in my hand. You've got to understand who I am. The identity is important and this is part of the development of faith the development of faith is through the miracle the miracle is what starts and opens the door and it opens the door to who is doing the miracle this is not just any man this is the king of kings and lord of lords This is the one walking on water and they look out and they see him and he says, be not afraid. King James says, it is I, but the original is ego a me. I am ego a me. I, not someone else am. That's a double emphatic. In the gospel of John, it's a double emphatic that means authority. Just like amen, amen, or verily, verily. When Jesus is speaking, he is not just speaking mere words. He is producing and transferring authority and power so that the listeners will understand. Okay, this is not just about the miracle. This is about more than just the miracle. This is about the God of the miracle. And and in that miracle and in that God, it's wrapped up in the identity of who Jesus is. We ever lose sight and lose excitement about who he is, we're going to have problems. (laughs) Listen, the I am can take care of any problem. The I am can dig out any situation. There is nobody like Jesus. He's the only one that is able to give life breathing force. He's the only one that can redeem from dysfunction and failure. We've got to recognize there is one that is great and greatly to be praised. And I've got to understand and recognize who he is. (laughs) 
Praise God. There's a, de- there's a development of faith. I'm still working on that title there. Development of faith through miracles. There is a miracle, and then there is the identity of who he is, and then it doesn't stop there. Be very, very careful. Just as there is a danger in stopping with the miracle, there's also a danger at stopping at the identity because Jesus produces the miracle to reveal the identity so that he can present his mission. We can shout and dance about the identity, and we should, but we can't stop at the identity because Jesus is telling us to go and do. There is some being and doing associated with knowing who he is. And so where I can rejoice and celebrate that I know that the God of the Old Testament, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace has become the word that was made flesh. And in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is exciting. But I've also got to recognize I can't stop there either because there is a mission that Jesus has commissioned me to. And I've got to get out of myself and my own thinking and knowledge and understanding to say somewhere you got to put your hand to the plow and say, I'm going to do the work of God. I'm going to commit to some things. I don't want just the feeling. I don't want just the emotion. I want to do the work of God. This is what has so impassioned me. And inspired me. I'm thankful for a rich heritage, Brother Townley. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all of that. My grandfather was was somebody that that knew nothing uh, about anything like this. He took care of churches. He lived his life. He he goes back to the Brush Arbor days of of coming in in revivals. He was kind of behind the scenes, but he loved God with everything that was in him. I've got a heritage and a richness of the heritage, but I can't just relax and say, you know, God has revealed to revelation who he is and then get stopped and stunted there there's got to be something in me that says I don't care what church it is I don't care what background it is as for me and my house we've got to put our hands into and thrust ourselves into the mission of God who am I to sit on the church pew and do nothing and and say nothing when God has given me great opportunities there's got to be an inspiration in my heart and life to say I want to get involved in the kingdom of God. And that involvement many times can be mundane. (laughs) Not this kind of stuff. This is amazing. The mundane stuff of saying, God, you've got to expand me. You've got to grow me. And so that little gal that's been bought and sold, lied to, deceived, wrecked, comes into the house of God. You know, my mission is to make sure that I save my family. It is my mission. My identity is to be on God's side. Because if I'm on the Lord's side, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. My mission is to save my family. But beyond my family, I've got a greater mission to reach others. And you know what's really sad state of affairs about ourselves and our culture today? There's not too many families that are even together in the world anymore. And that may be the case here. But what I'm seeing is I'm seeing moms coming in with two, three, four, and five kids. And their life is nothing but 
dysfunction. And if they don't have a church that understands the mission, then, then, then they don't have anywhere to, there's no safety net. Where are they going? Where, where are they going to get an answer? They're going to fall through the very bottom. The last, the last escape option is a church, not a church that says, well, he can do miracles and not just a church that says, we know who can do it for you, but a church that says, we also know how to get our hands dirty and dig you out of where you are and revival can happen. I apologize for using myself as an example, but it's a good example. And so this, 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 this poor gal comes. I mean, she's, there's no safety net. There is absolutely nothing. And she comes to the house of God, and she's never felt what she's felt before in her entire life. Alcohol, drugs, everything you can think of and imagine. Terrible dysfunction. But she finds something called the Holy Ghost. She wants to hang into. But there's a job there. There's a mission there. There is absolutely no domestication, no skills, no, no idea of anything. And so somewhere the mission becomes, okay, I know his identity and I know what he's able to do. Now we got to put our hands to the plow and we got, we got to work through this. And so you start from the very basics of stuff. And so there I am. I'm there. We, we gave opportunity so that she could get involved and try to eke out some kind of existence. And so to try to teach and help. And so cleaning was was an opportunity there around the church in the daycare. And so uh, she started on that endeavor. It wasn't going quite as well as expected. And other folks were saying, you know, I know you're trying to help, but something's going to have to be done. I said, okay, we'll work on that. So I went down there and... And, 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 and we started cleaning. I said, now listen, sis, you see this right here? This is grime. And the only way to get this grime up is you got to use elbow grease with this mop right here. And in some situations in the bathroom, it, this, this is what you have to do. A mop is not going to get in those corners. So this is revival stuff. This is the mission of God. I said, this is what you have to do, sis. You have to get down on your hands and knees like this. You have to take a rag, and you gotta, you got to work that grime out. Okay, okay. And about the time we're having this discussion and we're working on that grime, one of the parents that's not in our church comes in. She looks, and she says, wait, wait, wait a minute. She said, ain't you the pastor? I said, well, yeah. And she said, well, never. And she walked on like she'd never seen anything like that before in her life. What, 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 what am I doing? What am I trying to accomplish? I'm trying to accomplish the mission of God that says it doesn't matter who I am. I have been so benefited from the blessings of God and an understanding of who he is that I've got to put the mission figuratively and literally in action. Hallelujah. You know what she did? She went back to her job that she got part-time and she started working on that grime on that grime in the corners this is what you've got to do to that grime pretty soon the owner came the manager came and said listen i want everybody to come out and see what this gal is doing right here see what she's doing getting up this grime this is what we need all of our employees to do it's brick upon brick brick upon brick it seems so small it seems infinitesimal but i'm telling you later down the road a year and a half when you look back and you see how God has richly worked through the mission of God. When people are available, when men are available, and they get it in their spirit to say, I want to do something for God. I want to take ownership. Oh, come on, somebody. Clap your hands. Hallelujah. Come on, let the Holy Ghost talk to you today. 
<laughs> you can fold your arms and say, I don't have time for that. You go right ahead. I feel that spirit. You want to fight? You go ahead and say, I don't have time for that. That's, that's way beyond. That's way below my pay grade. Listen, I want revival. I'll take those kids into my home and babysit them every week so she can work, so she can finally eke out an existence that is something real that she's never, ever had before. I'm spending too much time there. So there's a miracle, there's an identity, there's a mission that leads to an expanding faith. And this is what is found in John Chapter 20 and verse number 29. Thomas, because you have seen me, thou hast believed. You, you've been able to physically touch me, you believe. But blessed are they that have not seen, yet have believed. There is an, these disciples, Thomas, beyond you, that go through the process of the miracle, the identity, and the mission of God, will have an expanding faith. And that expanding faith is going to be centered in the reality of Jesus Christ in which future disciples will be fashioned and will be molded. They won't have the same opportunity as you because I'm with you. But if they follow the development of faith through the miracles, they are going to achieve the same ability as you to be used of God. And so... That's my introduction. And my second point is to look at one of the two men, the development of faith through the miracles of two hopeless men. And the first hopeless man is found in John chapter 5 and verse number 1. He is the impotent man. He is the paralyzed man. Now, these two men are both hopeless, and they both respond differently to the development of faith. Hence the juxtaposition between the two men. There is a synchronization in the literature that John gives to us a clue. Jesus sees a man. He asks or the man is asked to give an account. And then Jesus encounters the man later. All three are in the same. They're, they're in the same story, the same miracle, those elements. And so the paralyzed man is the man that is by the pool at the sheep gate. And it is an interesting place. I've had the opportunity of walking down those five porches. It's not easy to get down to what would have been the pools where lame and impotent were gathered together. And there was the notion or the idea, certainly in in archaeological terms, that this was waters of therapy and people would gather there but the scripture said the waters were troubled and the angel of the lord would trouble the waters and whosoever would be able to get into the waters would be healed john says to make a clear distinction about this particular man because he was there for 38 years 38 years he had this particular problem he he described that to to reiterate to us the hopelessness of his situation, that there is no hope. And the scripture said he sees 
a man. Jesus sees and knows things that we don't know. Even in this place today, he sees beyond even the walls of facades sometimes that we build up. And he sees and he also knows. This is on the lips many times in the gospel. He sees and he knows. It's not just that he's seeing, but he's seeing deeper than that. And in this house today, I want God to see beyond just what I posture and the perception that other people see me. I want God to see my heart. I I want him to see into the core of who I am to my motivations and change me in a way so that from the core on the inside, it moves its way to the outside into action. This man for 38 years was absolutely hopeless in the depths of hopelessness. And Jesus sees him and he comes to him and he asks him a question that still should be the same question of the church today. Do you want to be healed? We could say not only do you want to be healed, but do you want to be saved? Do you want to be redeemed? Do you want to be salvaged? Do you want to be sanctified? Do you want to be justified? It's still the same question we must posit to a world. And yet the man, when he hears the questions, he gives the excuses why he can't get into the water. I don't have a man. The people get in before me. I don't have anybody to take me there. Jesus didn't ask him about the excuses. He asked him a question. And the question was, do you want to be healed? Be very, very careful. You don't fall into the trap of talking about all the excuses because you'll go around and around and around and around and never get to the bottom of anything. But you've got to still get to the same question Jesus asked. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? This is still the same message of the church. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be healed? There is still power that flows. Well, I can't do it. I don't have this. I don't have that. I I don't have the ability. I don't have that. Listen, that's not what I'm coming to talk to you about. I'm just coming to tell you there is one that can help you and can heal you. This is still the message of the church. Thank God. I don't have anybody to get me there. Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Imagine the man that's laying on the bed with no power and no hope. Jesus says, rise, take up the thing that you're laying on and walk away with it. Thereby illustrating it that not only does it now have power over you, but you have power over it. Oh, I know I'm preaching to a bunch of men and some are many of you are preachers, but man, what a message to be able to tell somebody whatever has had control of you. When the Holy Ghost comes into your life, he gives you the ability to take control over it. There's stuff that have been troubling you, dogging you down, depressing you. You need to take authority in the Holy Ghost and say, God has empowered me to overcome. Hallelujah. Rise, rise. The Mishnaic tractate on the Sabbath states that carrying object from one domain to another is expressly forbidden. Jesus 
never intends to leave things as they are. There's a confrontation that's going to happen because of the Jews, quote-unquote Jews, which is referring into the book of John not as the nationality of the Jews, though they were Jews. Jesus himself was a Jew. But referring to the realm of unbelief. Quotation marks, the Jews, quotation marks. The realm of unbelief. The people that were going to oppose the opposition, the very thing that Jesus was going to confront. And so this was forbidden. And this was done on the Sabbath. And so they ask this man, the Jews, ask this man, who is it that healed you or who is it that has done this to you and the man says well i i I don't know i don't know completely out of harm's way i I don't know he doesn't answer he doesn't say anything uh the scripture does say jesus is not there uh but he he takes no personal commitment to say anything about what has transpired at all and so this, this, is my, this is my problem with him. I know people preach this and they preach him in a positive light. But today, uh, for the sake of your enlightenment and maybe your entertainment, <clears throat> there is a stunted growth in this man. He doesn't respond at all. He puts the burden of proof on Jesus to respond and to speak about the situation. And so Jesus finds him. In chapter 5 and verse number 14, afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Not necessarily that there is going to be a worse physical condition that comes upon you, but that there is danger of being content with the cure without being conscious of a much deeper lostness as a sinner before God and rising from it. The worst thing would be that judgment would be upon you because you are a sinner. Jesus always loves to make a distinction in miracles. He always loves to put first of all salvation before the miracles. Why? Because people get stuck on the miracle and they forget the salvation. The man born of four people through the roofs, he comes down and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven you first. And then he says, you are healed, go your way. There, there's, a, there's, there's an importance there. Did you know the greatest miracle that ever could be done in your life is the fact that you are saved that is a miracle that is the greatest miracle that could ever take place in your life so don't go around saying I've never seen a miracle God's performing a miracle in you And so, here's why I I have a problem. The man departs and tells the Jews that it was Jesus. He goes back and says it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore, did the Jews persecute Jesus? He stays out of harm's way. He's content with the miracle But he's not going through the door of the miracle to the identity, to the mission, to the expanding faith. He's stuck. He is stunted. He stays in an old world. There is a refusal to come out of a realm of unbelief. Some people can't separate themselves from that world. 
Mm, I want to testify to you tonight that I, I want to do everything within my power to come out from that old paradigm. I, I, I may not be everything that I need to be. <laughs> I may struggle at times and have failures in my life, but this one thing you know, whenever I fall down, I'm getting back up and I'm going to live for God. I'm not walking out. I'm not giving up. I'm going to do everything in my power to say to the enemy, when I fall, I shall arise. I'm getting back up. If you're in this house today and you feel like, well, I'm just a failure. I haven't measured up. You need to recognize and understand that there is a God that understands exactly where you are. And he's not content to leave you where you are. You can't stay in that old world. You've got to come out of that world. You're coming out of that thinking, that mentality. That's my second point here today. Now let's talk about the third point. The blind man. Same elements. Same elements of seeing a man giving account and Jesus encounters him. The scripture says about the blind man in John chapter number 9. This is no coincidence. The writer is not just haphazardly playing around with the literature. He's forming it and shaping it to reveal and a revelation of the development of faith that Jesus is trying to bring his disciples to. The audience that comes to his teachings and miracles and the Jews that he is confronting. The old order. And so these elements are they link these two stories together and they show two different approaches. I just gave you the paralyzed man, which I find lacking. I find lacking. But when you read about the blind man, John chapter nine and verse number one, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man. Jesus sees You can't hide from God. You can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. Then he sees. And the disciples who are trying to work on their theodicy, theodicy, which is the defense of a good God who is omnipotent, all-powerful, with the evidence of evil, that is a theodicy. They're trying to work on their theodicy. And so they, they ask him, Master, who did this sin, this man or his parents? That he was born blind. And Jesus, in another case, negates their thinking when it comes to the pool of Siloam, where there's 18 souls that die because the pool of Siloam collapses. And there's a discussion about, is it because of their sin in their life? And Jesus basically says, well, the tower fell on them. That's why they died. The tower fell on them. Now, I don't want to chase a rabbit here, but I believe that in everything that we do, we should question, God, you trying to talk to me? But some things just happen. And it may be that God has orchestrated events in our life that is going to catch our attention, but not everything is it's, it's not ordered that way. We live in a fallen world, and so things just happen. Tower fell. 
This man was born blind, not because he sinned or his parents sinned, but Jesus takes opportunity to say, I'm fixing to show my glory through him. Because where he is blind, I am the light of the world. So you just watch what's fixing to happen here. So he kneels down and he spits and he makes a bud ball. And the rabbinic tractate says that kneeling dough is forbidden on the Sabbath. Jesus is, well, he's kneading his own special kind of dough on the Sabbath. So the opposition is there. It's always going to be opposition. (laughs) It's not an enemy. It's going to be other opposition in other ways. Always going to be opposition. Jesus never intends to leave you where you are. And so Jesus confronts with you the opposition. And so he confronts again the opposition. So the man goes and he cleans his eye out and he comes seeing The neighbors are incredulous. Uh, And they say, is this him? And some say, well, this is he. And others said, well, it looks like him. And he said, no, it's me. I'm the man that was born blind. Now I see. And so they ask him in verse number uh, 10. They said, how were your eyes opened? His answer was, A man that is called Jesus. There's a development of faith. It's not just enough about the miracle. Other man had no intentions of saying anything other than, I don't know where he is, and Jesus has to answer for himself. This man, though it's a a burgeoning faith, he's got enough sense to know, okay, there's something different about this man, and his name is Jesus. This is what he told me to do, and this is what I did. And so this became such a deal that they brought him to the Pharisees. And it was the Sabbath day, and Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then asked the Pharisees, how did you receive your sight? And he said, he put clay on my eyes, I washed and do see. And some of the Pharisees, this caused some consternation because they said, This man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath. And others started saying, well, wait a minute. Is he a sinner or is he he not a sinner? What's what's going on here? Uh, And there is some confusion. There's division. Is he a sinner or no? And so after they calm their dispute among themselves, they asked the blind man again. They said, what do you say? The elements are Jesus sees, and then the man's asked to give an account. First man gives no account other than to say, I don't know. This man is asked to give an account. First of all, he tells his neighbors, well, a man called Jesus. Now the Pharisees are asking him, what happened here? Who has done this to you? And we want to know who opened your eyes. And the blind man said, he is a prophet. He's not just Jesus anymore, but... He could be the Messiah, the one that is going to come with authority and power. And and so this obviously causes a problem. But but what I like about this is he has no intention of going back. (laughs) He was blind and now he's seeing. He has no intention of morphing back into that old world. 
paralyzed man's willing to go to the Jews and say, he's the one that did it, and he's willing to morph back into an old paradigm. This man is saying, it's Jesus, and now he steps out and he takes a risk. He says, well, I think he's a prophet. I'm not going back to an old world and an old paradigm. I don't completely know what's in front of me, but this one thing I know, I've been touched with a sovereign hand, and there is something to this. I want to explore it no matter the risk. So they said, a prophet, you've got to be crazy. They marginalize him and they isolate him and they say, you move to the side, we're going to ask your parents. Isn't that so much like the world? Marginalize, isolate, downplay, want to feel like that you want to intimidate you, want to influence you, want to impress upon you, want to compound you down to the lowest denominator. Listen, God has given to us something great. We don't need to be ashamed. We need to recognize there are some risks, but it's worth the risks. I'm not going down the same road that you're going. I'm not living the same way that you're living. I'm not abiding by the same rules that you're following. I'm not defined by what you are defining in your definitions. I am a child of God and I am defined by the word of God. I'm not defined by politics. I'm not defined by sports figures. I'm not defined by Hollywood. I'm defined by the word of God. I'm not going down that road. I'm not following that. I'll take the risks. He's ignored. He's marginalized. And so they asked his parents. And his parents are a little concerned. Because they don't want to be outed. And so they said, well, we don't know this. He is our son, and he was born blind. But as to what happened, we, 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 we don't know. He, he's of age. Ask him. See, if he'll give an account. Well, he's already said he's Jesus, and he's now said he's a, he's a prophet got to be more to this miracle thing there's got to be an identity and so they called him again and they said give God praise give God praise is much like Achan having to come forth and as the condition of being the sinner by his condition as a sinner he should glorify God they want to put him in the same position and say you're marginalized you're insignificant give God praise tell the truth He gives one of the greatest answers in the entire corpus of Scripture. He says, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. They reviled him and they said, we have Moses as our disciple and Moses is our mouthpiece and we don't know who this guy is. 
tightening the screws. See, there's the, the, the opposition will always try to tighten the screws. And he says, oh, I find this so much better than the paralyzed man. He says to the Jews, rather than going and saying, well, it was Jesus that healed me. He says, you've asked me this once before. You're asking me it again. Do you want to be his disciples? What is he doing? He is taking the risk of committing not just to a miracle. He's not... He's not just happy with the miracle. I believe emphatically that that the blindness that is now gone and that he now sees is not the only reason that he is standing up for who Jesus is. He is taking the risk to say there is something more to more than just the miracle. There's an identity here. There is a God here. There, There is something special here. There is something worth committing here. There's something worth taking a risk here. No matter what anybody else says can I preach to you men today there is something worth taking a risk for you need to go out on a limb and say if God be for me who can be against me I can be used of God praise God let let, let me hurry to a conclusion here I'm sorry we've been here for a while uh He goes from defense to offense and says, it's a marvelous thing since the world began. We know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And they said to him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. His parents didn't want to quite take the risk because they didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue. That's what the scripture, the editorial comment says. This man gives an account and he is cast out, but he's willing to take the risk. Let me tell you something. When God really touches you and impacts your life and your heart, you are willing to take whatever risk you have to take to say I am dialed into something that is real and is powerful and there is a development of faith I'm coming out of an old mentality and old world and I'm walking into a new world and so he is he is cast out Uh, then that element of Jesus encountering three elements where Jesus sees they're asked to give an account and then Jesus encounters encounters the paralyzed man and tells him to go and sin no more encounters this man and he says do you believe on the son of God and the man says who is he Lord that I might believe on him And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The development of faith. He He stepped through the miracle into the identity, and now he's moving into the mission of an expanded faith that says...
I want to be his disciple. I'm willing to take that risk. In conclusion today, and this is my last point, what is the application for men today? It really is this. The dangerous choice of faith is avoided by some and accepted with all risks by others. The dangerous choice of faith is avoided by some and accepted with all risks by others. Let's be real. It's risky in our culture today to be a real man. But what our world so desperately needs is real men. Men of God. Men not afraid to pray. Men not afraid to lead. Rather than spiritual paralysis and blindness. Rather than being isolated. Marginalized. Rather than to fall into the trap of an effort to be captivated by a world's definition. Rather than an effort to stunt God's call. Rather than to confuse or dismantle the promise of God. Rather than being apathetic or acquiescing to the pressure of the world. Not men that are hollowed out and confused. Not men that are willing to be content without commitment. Not men paralyzed by fear, immobilized by indecision, scandalized by the accuser, criticized by hell. Stuck in an old paradigm. Oh, but wait. Wait. I feel I'm getting the opportunity today to see things differently. And where I once was blind, Now I see. And where I once was paralyzed, now I have power. And I'm not content with just the miracle. I want to walk through the identity of Jesus being Lord, a prophet, son of God. I want to be involved in the mission of God. want to have an expanding faith this is where God is calling us an expansion an expansive faith with all the risks Thomas you need to know something you're blessed because I'm here in front of you and you can touch me but blessed are men Jennings Louisiana won't have the same opportunity that you have but having not seen They're going to believe. And because of their expanding faith, 
there is the work of God and because the work of God they will know me and because they know me there are going to be miracles that break out because of their commitment to me as we stand to our feet together in the house of God today what's God saying to us today at the conclusion of this conference what he's saying is could we expand where we are with all the inherent risks God doesn't want the excuses because we could all bring excuses. We could all talk about why we can't and, 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 and why it won't happen and, and all of those kind of things. God's just wanting to know, can you expand your faith, the development of faith through the miracles of two hopeless men? We were all in the same boat, but God gave to us a hope that maketh not a shame. And I wonder in the house of God today if we could lift our hands and lift our voice and pray that prayer. God, expand. Give me an expansive faith. I know there are risks associated, but that's okay. I want to walk down that road so that you can use me. Come on, somebody, lift up your voice and lift up your hands and pray that prayer right now. God, help me to expand my thinking. Take me to another level. Don't leave me. Don't leave me the same way that I am. Take me somewhere else. Take me to another level. Take me deeper in you. Reveal yourself in another way. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. There is a depth to God. And God wants to know in our hearts and in our lives, will we rise to the challenge of saying, God, I want an expansive faith. I want to go back to my church. I want to go back to my city. I want to go back to the work of God. I want you to expand my thinking, expand who I am. Hallelujah. I wonder if there's a man that would step out of a pew, a chair somewhere and say, you know what, I want God to work on me and fashion me. I don't want him to leave me the same way that I came. I want a development of faith. I'm not satisfied with just the touch of God, the miracle of God, the emotions that are associated with God touching me and working on me. But I want to know who he is. But not only do I want to know who he is, God, I want you to thrust me, thrust me into the mission and work of God. Thrust me into the work of God. Come on, that's it, somebody. I'll take the risk. I'll, I'll pour blood, sweat, and tears. And they may walk away, but it's worth the risk. He's a pain taker. Help me to be the hands and the feet, old Lamb of God. He's a way Saving, he's a prison shaking saving. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Go on that, speak it out, speak it out. God, I want an expanding faith. I want an expanding faith of you. I want you to use me beyond what I've been before. You feel lost. I want you to elevate my anointing. He's a way maker. You need freedom. Saving, he's a prison shaking savior. You've got chains, he's a chain break. Come on, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. You've got pain, 
to trust in you and lean not to my own understanding. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire. We've all worn things we know that just ain't right. But there's a big last 